Sorry, minor technical problem with the <clears throat> lapel mic. Let's pause for a message from our, let our stations identify themselves. <laughs> I don't know, this thing is busted now. I think it's just like it couldn't handle my. <clears throat> Good news is we are beloved. Bless thee, my son. I don't know what I, he asked me what I did to it, I have no idea. But it has exploded. I could just put it in my pocket. Yeah, we better take it to the surgeon. <clears throat> we have to take it to the surgeon after. Just send the bill to Omaha. <clears throat> so, great to be with you guys this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. This is, uh, comes to us from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy means the second law, the second giving of the law, if you will. It was given at a time of Israel's early stages of development, but after they had received the bad news of, you know what? Moses has intervened. He spared your life. You know, God has filled to capacity with your rebellion and you know, your rejection of him, and despite being fed and led and, and cared for by God and beloved by God, they still want to go back to slavery in Egypt. And, uh, you know, this is one of those great texts that we're all familiar with. We might even have part of it, you know, uh, crocheted on one of our walls in our house, right? But this is also one of those texts that can easily become a nursery rhyme in our life. Remember, I spoke about that several months ago where we just let Scripture come in one ear and go out the other. But it doesn't really land and it doesn't really have necessarily the impact that we should be allowing it to have in our life. Collectively, this section of Deuteronomy is known as what? When you got it right, the Shema. You still have to stay and listen to the rest of my speech. Um, so the Shema just means listen or hear. And this text starts out with hear, O Israel. Listen, some of your translations may say. Uh, and as I understand it in Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but they didn't have a word equivalent to our English word of obeying. So when the word Shema was used, it means to listen, and it's implied that we obey, listen and obey. You know, when I was a kid growing up, the uh, church I used to go to as a young fa uh, you know, child in, we used to sing this song, Trust and Obey. How many of you, uh, you know, no hairs and white hairs out there remember Trust and Obey? Uh, it's, it's not so much a song we sing, but the words of that song were, were great. You know, I remember every Sunday morning I would sing that song uh, in the shower. And uh, Wendy's getting the baby ready, and we had a, a toddler at the time, so I would give Colin his shower, and we'd go in the shower together, and we'd shower off, and we'd sing Trust and Obey, you know? That was our, that was our shower song, <laughs> Trust and Obey. 
But I had a deeper intent with that, because I don't know, when we got to church, Colin was like demon-possessed. I mean, <laughs> the kid could not behave in church, so it was this constant wrestling match. Constant wrestling. And I'd have to take him out at least once every Sunday. You know, back in those days, you'd have, everybody would have Sunday school in the morning, and then we'd all you know, do church together from like 11 to 11.45. And uh, so the kids would be out there and, you know, in the church with us and stuff like that. And there's benefits to that for sure. But, you know, when Colin was like two or three, it's just like, man, I'd have to take him out every Sunday. And, you know, it'd be about 120 people in the church and I'd be taking him out. And no, Bubba, no, Bubba. I mean, he just, and I could hear all the women go, oh, you know. And all the guys would be like, well, it's about time, you know? <laughs> so let me just give some, a shout out to you guys with young kids. I mean, I was, I don't, we were talking about this last night, I think, or this morning, actually, uh, with Rob and Ilya. And just like, you know, sometimes as parents, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have these perfectly obedient kids, you know? And especially when we get to church, it is the mecca <laughs> of obedience. You know, everything is going to be perfect at church. And, uh, you know, I think, take this home with you. Somebody taught me this when I was a, a young dad. And it's money. It's put it in the bank. It's golden. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. If you have a relationship with your kid, if you're investing in their lives, if you're playing with them, if you're loving them, man, they need your rules. They need guidance. You know, God tells us to, to direct and, and parent and shepherd our children. And without that, they actually get even more insecure and, and crazy over time as well. I, we could boil, you know, go into a lot of deep stories about that. But hang in there with your young kids. And I think even when your, your kids are, you know, unruly in public, you know, you can feel a little embarrassed. And, you know, hey, people are expecting your kids to, they're kids. That's why they're kids. That's why they don't drive cars. <laughs> Along with a lot of other you know, different reasons. That's why they don't have jobs, you know. That's why they don't make the dinner and the lunch and all that other kind of stuff. You know, they're kids. So, hey, don't expect your kids to be perfect, but engage with them. And I think, you know, what, what, really, what really encourages a, a, a crowd, whether you're in the shopping mall. I don't, do people go to malls? I don't think Amazon has a mall, but anyway. When you're in a crowd of other people, I think you can just eliminate a lot of stress by, like, Lovingly disciplining and working with your child, you know. Uh, I'm not why that's not even my lesson. So anyway, I do want us to talk about this whole idea of the Shema, though, loving the Lord our God. The Lord is one, you know. And, and one of the constant, one of the constant struggles Israel and we still have it today is idolatry. Things that we put before our relationship with God. And so that's why God is giving this, them this early directive. And uh, so it's, it's really important for us to embrace this. And then, of course, Jesus comes along 1,500 or so years later. And in the Gospel of Luke, like everything else Jesus does with this teaching, he ups the ante, doesn't he? Yeah. He not only reminds us of the Shema, but he tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then in the Luke account in chapter 10, as the scribe or, you know, the, the expert in the law is questioning Jesus, he says, well, who is my neighbor, right? And Jesus gives him that great uh, conversation around the Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. 
And if you break that Samaritan story down, it's really, it's really so powerful us to, for, for us today. You know, the last three or four years, we have been baked, boiled, stewed, microwaved, and constantly frozen and refreshed in a spirit of anger, anxiety, hatred, judgment. We're drowning in it. We're drowning in it. And we've got to work really hard to break ourselves free from the power of Satan that rules the world. The power of the spirit of Satan that dominates our society and our cultures. So Jesus gives this great example of this Samaritan who's helping this Jewish person. And the priests, above all people, are the ones that do their best at trying to ignore the situation. You know, I, I, I don't really have time to mess around with this dude. And so the Samaritan, the very cultural people that were at war with the Jews, is the one who jumps in and provides benefit to this person who's been beaten and left by the side of the road for dead. And there's such a deep story there. There's such a deep application for us that even in our darkest moments, our dark opportunities, we have to cultivate and nurture this spirit of love. Now understand, too, God's love. Not, not human, earthly kind of love. Our kind of love is pretty manipulating. You know, we... You know, people tend to love because there's something in it we want from that relationship. You know, I'm going to get something, you know, out of this thing or whatever the case may be. Not in all cases, but, you know, understand that, you know, we even have this great uh, verse for us in Ephesians where, where Paul tells, or God tells us through Paul to speak the truth in love. And this is something that somebody shared with me years ago, too, and this is so profoundly true. Uh, and I think I've shared it with us here, here, us here before, but I, I want to remind us of this idea that, boy, love without truth is shallow, and truth without love is just mean. So you got to have both. You know, love is truth. Truth is real. Truth is love. When I was punishing, or you know, uh, disciplining my kids, I did it because I love them, right? You got punished when you were a kid because you were loved by your parents. And some of you who have kids today, you, you punish your kids because you love them. You're disciplining them. So uh, understanding the, you know, the holistic, uh, God-centered, biblical perspective on love is so important for us. So I love this teaching in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Over the years... And I know we're kind of moving around a lot of different places. I don't have any slides for you. We're going old school. Uh, so get your swords handy. You're going to need them. I don't care if it's a paper version or an e-version or whatever. Just get a version of your sword out there because we're going to look at a few scriptures together this morning. But in Romans 15, 14, over the years, this has become one of my favorite texts. And I think one thing I really want to encourage you guys with because I've been, in so, I've been so encouraged by all of you. I mean, the work that you have been able to accomplish over the past six months has been nothing short of amazing. Amen. Nothing short of the power of God working through you together collectively as a body of Christ. And in Romans 15, verse 14, God tells us through the Apostle Paul there, 
And bear in mind, Paul is writing this to the church in Rome who had a strong opportunity for division because you had Gentiles and you had uh, uh, Jews operating in, in, in the big city, in the big city of Rome with lots of cultural tension going on around it. But Paul writes to them, and he deals with several problems. He deals with the Jewish problem, and he deals with the Gentile problem in that great theological letter to the Romans. But he says here near the end, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. There was no seminarians there. There doesn't even appear to be a full-time evangelist in the church at Rome. In fact, many of the early churches didn't have paid ministry staff. It was just people coming together, being disciples of Jesus, working through a lot of mess, working through a lot of dysfunction, sometimes breaking down. You know, as a minister, you know, since I've been, you know, since 2007 when I, well, 2008 since I have been on staff with the church. I was 18 when I got hired, if you were curious. Uh, I've had to read Corinthians quite a bit in my life because sometimes, you know, the way we just, we break down with each other, it can be discouraging. And then I look at Corinthians and I'm like, wow, look at all the things that Paul addresses in the Corinthian letter. People are going to court with each other. People are getting drunk in, during communion. They're dividing over classification of wealth status. They're arguing with each other over who's better based on who baptized them. They're fussing with each other over who's got the best spiritual gift. There's just a lot at stake, and yet here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that started the church in Corinth and probably spent a year and a half with them before he had to move on writing back to them, and he still says, you know what, brothers and sisters. He doesn't give up on them. He reminds them that they are dearly loved. And he reminds them half, two-thirds of the way through that first letter that, hey, if I can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I can do all these amazing things but have not love, I'm meaningless. And then he says near the end of that section that we hear a lot of it, weddings, right? Let these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? So taking that into account and Paul's encouragement to encourage us to realize, hey, it is, it is our goal. one of our goals as a church is to rise up to this level of competence with the word of God individually and collectively so that we can instruct one another. Let's do a little bit of that this morning. So I need three volunteers. You're going to have to have some bravery. You are going to come up here on the stage. Lewis, are you raising? Oh, you just pulled your hand down? Are you, is your hand up or down? Okay, so I need three people to come up here on stage, and we're going to have a little interaction. Uh, we're going to talk about some things together. So I've got these really cool things here we found in one of the closets. They're called folding chairs. Is that going to work on the camera? I'm getting a thumbs up from Tom. Nice okay, we got two volunteers. We have a third. We have a third. We need a sister. Sorry, brothers. One of you brothers. We need a sister. One of you guys. One of you guys decide 
Who wants to give up their spot? And we'll have, we need a sister. Do we have a sister? I need a brave sister. Lewis, thank you for being humble enough to bow out. Let's hear it for Lewis. This was your moment to shine or blow up, and uh, you chose to be humble about it. We need a sister, though. I need a sister. We got Sharissa. Come and have a seat, guys. I'm not sure. This one's, you'll just have to hang on to it. Is there, yep. Okay, so we'll sit that in the middle, and yeah. Bryce, maybe you can take this in, and Sharissa, you can be in the middle there. Yeah, sit down. So you can move that mic down if you need to, Link. I'll move this thing over here. Okay, so here we go. Uh, thanks, guys, for participating uh, with us this morning. Uh, and we're going to go through some conversation together. And you may not all get a chance to comment on every particular question I ask. Uh, these questions, they had no idea that they were even going to be here, let alone what the questions were for us this morning. But as we think about this text in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, where we hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. You're to impress them on your children. What goes on, what goes through your mind, through your mind, when you hear this particular teaching? Does anybody want to share about that? What goes through your mind when you hear the Shema? I think for me, um, the word that popped into my head was just reckless abandon, and um, that I don't hold anything back. From God, I give everything to God, and um, I think the thing I've been seeing the most lately is I have a tendency to fear, and for me, I have to put that fear out of my heart in order to really be who God wants me to be. Amen. Great answer. Uh, love, Paul tells us, God tells us through Paul, what does love do? Drives out Love fear. drives out fear. Newsflash. We're all afraid of each other. We walk around being consumed by fear on a regular basis. That's why God says so much about fear. What does this person think about me? You know? But perfect love drives out fear. Okay? Thanks for that great response. Link or Bryce, either of you have a... That, Bryce's mustache, by the way, today is super impressive. <laughs> So bad, it's like, but don't get too close. You could get harpooned, I'm just saying. Bryce uh, or Link, either of you have a thought on this one? I do. Um, and it's very timely that we're reading it this morning and talking about it because I've been reminded this week of how much I've put before this. You were talking about idolatry earlier being such a big problem. And um, that's just been pretty prevalent this week that that's something that I've wrestled with um, putting things before God uh, my time what I want to do if things aren't working out the way that I think they should then I get mad <laughs> and I blame other people and it just or things and uh, so there's that aspect 
and then impressing them upon your children and teaching your children these. It's important to have them on straight yourself if you're gonna teach them to your kids. And so just being reminded of that and having some conversations with them this week as well. So. Great, thank you, Link. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think it's, let's just encourage each other too to really be contemplative and meditative about is there something in my life that has a higher priority than my relationship with God? You know, is there something I'm valuing that, you know, is, is just takes a higher priority? You guys are doing a great job. Bryce, hold on to that mic. I'm going to get rid of this mic stand. I don't know what the singers are going to do. Well, they're not coming back, so we don't have to worry about them. They're done. We'll get these stands out of your way so we can see you guys completely. Nice. Boy, these things, they got points on the end. They're dangerous for me anyway. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get to Bryce on the first one. Sorry, Bryce, I don't get you in on that question. Uh, so where do you think you're personally at, Bryce, with this whole Shema? That's a simple question, but... I think I'd rather answer the first question. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I, not, did I fail to mention this is non-negotiable once you volunteer? This is non-negotiable. Sorry, buddy. You can hit me later. I won't do that. I'm not supposed to. Amen. <laughs> Good answer. Um, I think I'm where we are all at, where, we're all, where I'm just striving to fulfill it to the best of my ability. Because I can't do it perfectly because I'm only human, but that doesn't mean I can't do everything that I can to get as close to that. Okay. Good answer, buddy. So this one's available to all of you guys. And, and again, if we go back to this idea that the Shema is, let's just not hear the words audibly, but let's understand their expectation when God gives them to us is that, man, I'm giving you this so that you may have life. You know, Trust me in this. Fear me. Follow me. Put nothing else beside me. And let's see what life can do, what your life will and can become. So how do you think we collectively as a church are doing with this whole Shema experience. And I'll give you five seconds to think about it. <laughs> okay, time's up. <laughs> well, I guess I'll go. <laughs> I think that we individually maybe are a microcosm of the church as a whole in terms of I think there are some things that we do well and some things that we need help with. But I think in order to get the help, we got to ask. And, and that's where I tend to fall short and get prideful because I think I can do it myself, um, my way, and it's going to work. And at least that's been recently. <laughs> my wife has reminded me that um, it doesn't work like that. So, but. That's my thought. I think there are some things we do well as a church and some things that we're handling very well and, and some things I think that we all probably would agree that we need help with, but we have to ask for it. Amen. Thanks, Link. Bryce or Sharissa, either of you have a response to this one? 
Um, I think I see people engaging more. Um, I think um, personally I've tried to engage more with people and try to deal with things in my heart and clear up situations that I'd misunderstood or, um, you know, I can sense Satan trying to separate and I'm like, no, 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 you know. So I've tried to talk to, there's, I'm not by any means where I need to be, but I feel like I'm moving forward and I feel like other people are moving forward as well. Um, and like Lincoln said, I think we all have things we can grow in, but um, I feel like we're, that people are trying to be who God called us to be. Amen. Thank you. Bryce? I mean, I grew up here, and so I've gotten the chance to see it morph and change. Um, but I think that one of our things that has been constant is our humility when someone comes to us and talks to us about needing to change. Most of the time, um, I see them willing to listen and willing to put aside their own pride to hear what the other has to say. and the glue that has formed from that and has held us together, kind of as Charissa was saying, um, just pulling us all together and working together to strive to reach that. Great. So last question in this particular um, area of questions. Um, as we think about the Shema and loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, uh, impressing these things upon ourselves and, up, and upon our children. Under the umbrella of all that, as a, as a fellowship, uh, and you can address either one of these, but is there, what would you like to see more of, or maybe less of, or maybe none of, or different? Does that question make sense? More of, less of, none of, different. That's a great poem. More of, less of, none of, different. I have to remember that. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on then. <laughs> I went first last time. Link said he went first last time. I think one of the things that we need to work on is last time I talked about our humility, but we rarely ever start those conversations. So we need to start more conversations and more communication just throughout the body. So more conversations. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think, so my comment has to do with our kids. Okay. And again, it's coming from, you know, personal experience over the last couple of weeks in our family here. And, um, you know, something that I would like to see more of, and admittedly, you know, we have a part to play in it. I think all of us has a individual responsibility to open, open up to each other. But, um, you know, we're not having a lot of conversations with people who have kids about how their kids are doing, how they're doing in raising their kids, 
these kinds of things and we have questions and we have things that we're trying to deal with and because of that it kind of feels like we're on our own sometimes and we're really not but nobody you know I mean I know we have a part to play in reaching out but we all do and so <laughs> we have to do our part but I mean I think collectively as a whole that's something that I I feel is missing right now is not just events and, and, and things for the kids to do, but you know how are we all collectively doing and bringing them up? You know, this world that we live in, I was having to talk with one of ours this weekend, um, and bro, you've alluded to it a number of times, the Bible is really the only thing that we have as a guide anymore in this world <laughs> to help our kids know how to make good decisions. Because everything else is so screwed up, mm -hmm. and uh, and so trying to explain that to them when they're 11 is is getting harder to do. So um, that's what I see. Great, thank you, Link. Let me uh, just address this for a second because what I'm hearing is conversation, and I know you guys had a class in the fourth quarter of last year about having conversations. And that's one of the reasons why we launched into this idea of hospitality. Um, and I pray that you don't get tired of hearing the conversation around hospitality. It is so, so valuable, so important that we learn to embrace hospitality with one another first, and then we begin to expand that to others outside of our fellowship. Let's, good, let's, get, make, let's look, make sure we're really good at doing this I mean, not forever with each other, but you know, we had we, we every time we come down here, we stay with somebody, a different family, and we get great food. It's it's just great hospitality. Last night we stayed with uh, uh, Rob and Ilya, and they had another family over. It was just great getting to know people at a deeper deeper level. See, we really don't know much about each other until we're actually breaking bread together. I talked about this back in December, but the Gospel of Luke alone, there's 12 separate meal scenes with Jesus breaking bread with people. And breaking bread breaks down barriers. There's something about having people over in your home for a meal where you can just talk about things in a, 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 you know, a loose environment. When you, when you get the, if, if your fellowship time and your, your hospitality time is just worship times when you come together, that's so limited. You don't really know. You don't really get to know one another that well. You know, what's your background? You know, how, how did you, what did you do when you were a kid? What happened to you? You know, what, all these kind of great stories so that we can really begin to truly appreciate one another. And honestly, as a young dad, just piggybacking off of what Link shared, some of the most valuable feedback, without even asking for it, was from having older people in our homes and them giving us observation on our parenting and our kids. And, we would share struggles, and, and that's where Brother Hal told me when I was a 30-some-year-old dad, man, just remember, the wildest ponies make the best horses. <laughs> you know? And so things like that, you know, just keep on keeping on. You're doing the right thing. You know, encouraging one. It's so important to be able to build the fellowship around this way. And church... This is so absent in our culture, in the world today. People are desperate for this. They're not so desperate for maybe coming to church where they don't know people and it's like they've never darkened the door of a church. And, you know, there's a lot of, 
you know, acrimony against church, some for valid reasons, some for invalid, whatever. But people are desperate for relationships. And you have so much to offer them. But in order to do that, we just have to reconfigure our lives in some areas. Because if we're not careful, we get sucked up into the speed and the pace and the buzz of the world around us that, man, I don't even have time for my dinner with my family most nights of the week, let alone somebody else. Get help. You know, don't be afraid. You know, uh, you know as Bryce was sharing even earlier, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and open like, hey, help me out with this. I'm trying to figure this out. It's important. You guys are doing great. You're still not getting paid, but you're doing great. <laughs> Somebody open Philippians for me and read chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 with a great voice. You may have to come grab a microphone. We're going to borrow Charissa since she's in the middle, and you can come forward. Come thou thence and speak loudly. Lewis, are you going to read it? I can speak loudly without a mic or with one. I'll hold it right here, bro. Coming to us live from WKPR, we have Lewis. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Wow. That was awesome. I feel like I just heard it for the first time in my life. That is a powerful script from the Word of God through the Apostle Paul. What is, what is the object of this thing that's supposed to be abounding and growing in knowledge and depth of insight? What is it? Love. Love. Love is to be growing in our knowledge, not just head information. It's the knowledge about God's will. It's the knowledge about one another. This concept of depth of insight, uh, you know, takes on a whole new meaning for us when you look into the history of this word. But essentially, it's to gain an accurate and a deep understanding of something or someone. You know why we're at war with each other in the world? We don't know anything about each other, and yet we're so quick to condemn, so quick to critique. It's been a really brutal last four years to be in the ministry. i got to be honest with you. And I think there's troubling times still ahead. We're going to have another nasty election cycle popping up pretty soon. Are we going to lead with love, or are we going to lead with who we're going to vote for? We're citizens of the kingdom of God. As one minister said several years ago, when we stand before the throne of God, we're not going to be singing, I'm proud to be an American by Lean Greenwood. <laughs> we're going to be singing, hallelujah. Lord, we sing your praises loud. Okay, we've got to work on that. But love is the object of growing in this knowledge and depth. So what does it mean? What does it mean to you personally when you hear God's encouragement to us? He says, if you want to understand my righteousness, 
If you want to understand my completeness, I need you to grow and abound in love with knowledge and depth of insight. How does that strike you? What do you think? Uh, something that I can do. Okay. A practical thing that I can do, and it's attainable. It's not this nebulous, oh, where is it, uh, kind of a thing. It's, you it's, did that really well, by the way. Thanks. Um, it's something that you, can, that you can physically do where you can see results and, and have fruit born out from it. Amen. So that's a positive. Yeah. I think personally for me, it's really learning to love myself the way God loves me. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like um, when I love myself the way that he loves me, I can love people better. Um, I tend to, uh, I'm super hard on myself really hard on myself and then I transfer that to people and it's like Ooh. just accept God's grace so that you can give God's grace to people Ooh. you know um, Ooh. that's so a I great think point that's the that's the thing for me is I really need to learn to accept God's love so I can give it to others. Amen. amen it's almost been a theme in my life the past three weeks um, those of you that don't know I've been down here for training for a new job where I'm going to be spreading love with um, inmates in a prison and helping them. And so we've been doing this a lot of don't judge, listen to them, any improvement is a good one. And it's just been a constant lesson and so you bringing that up and just tying the last three weeks together is been, is kind of a slap on the face isn't the right word, but it definitely wakes you up. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yep. That's the work of the Spirit, Bryce. You know, that's how the Spirit works. Okay, let's look at the next passage, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, and by the way, you know, I know we're familiar with this passage in Galatians, but I hope as you read through this in Galatians, you're also understanding the issue with what's going on in Galatia. You know, because it's the constant struggle of the first century churches where the Jews who converted to following Jesus, they, the Jewish disciples, they want to make the Gentile disciples Jewish. And the Gentile disciples want to just blow the, the, the practices and some of the historical things that are important to the, the, the Jewish converts to, to let it all go. You know, that, forget about that. And that's never been God's expectation here. So Paul's trying to pull this group together and says, look, you know, you got to love one another. You know, you got to recognize and appreciate one another's differences. And if, if this is offensive to this person, then just do it on your own. Do it privately. Don't make an idol out of it. Don't make it a stumbling block for other people. But somebody read for us. Alex, you're right there. Can you read for us Galatians 5, 13 through 15? Amen. So this idea of destroying one another, you know, it really means to annihilate, to eliminate one another. But on the other hand, Paul reminds us, God reminds us through Paul, that love is the antidote for this conflict. 
So what does it mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself? That was something you were talking about, Sharissa. You know, that's what Jesus said, too. The second greatest command, which is just like the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, that's different from what the world tells us about self-love. But loving myself realizes that, hey, you know what, Ilya? I'm a daughter of God Most High. Rob, I'm a son of God Most High. I know who I am. I have really nothing to prove to people. I want to attract people to God through my life, through my attitude, through the way I live. But I don't have to be in fear. I don't have to feel inferior. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I was just talking with Lapita about that before church. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So what does it mean to you to love your neighbor as you love yourself? This is where you guys come in. <laughs> you know, I, um, I think the most practical application of this for me is at my job. Um, it's really easy for me to, to, to love all of you guys because we're all like-minded, right? And we all have the same faith and hope. Um, in my job, you know, I'm dealing with people that are, uh, that are on probation for one thing or another that they've done wrong, a choice that they made that was bad, you know, or they've come in to pay a ticket or they've not paid a ticket for a year and a half and now they have a bench warrant or now they have worse consequence, you know, and, and it's not so much in my dealings with them face to face that I'm talking about because I, I feel like I do a really good job of, of not being judgmental with them when they're in front of me. Um, you know, it's after they leave and I, you know, turn to my coworker and I'm like, man, you know, what are, what are they? What are they thinking? What, I don't understand this way of thinking. You know, I, don't, I didn't grow up with it. I don't understand it. And so then I can have a tendency to, you know, even if it's in my mind, be critical of that. Amen. And, and so for me to, to love those people means to stop that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I do in front of them if what I'm doing behind the scenes after they're gone counterdicts what I do they're not going to know, but God does. Yeah. So it kind of wipes it out. Amen. So that's where I need to improve. Especially looking into the world today, um, we as just a people in general, as humans, are very egocentric very focused on ourselves and what we feel and our own experiences. And this is telling us to look at that and see how much we focus on that and then to turn it around and be exocentric where we're focused on other people, on, those, on everything outside of us and to do it with the same intensity that we focused on um, serving ourselves. Amen. You know, Jesus, I think in Luke, somewhere early on in Luke, he said, let your light shine before men. 
Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Thank you for that example. But how often do we find ourselves trapped in that kind of thinking, right? We can do that amongst ourselves. And I just want to ask you, since we've been talking so much about hospitality, you know, I, I'm hearing anecdotal stories that are very encouraging about people, you know, being in one another's homes. Look for those opportunities where you can increase in that and abound more and more. Get to know one another with depth of knowledge and depth of insight so that you may, as Link said, put this idea into practice that, you know, love is something that we participate in and that we engage in. It doesn't just happen because we go to the church to the same place two hours a week. It doesn't just happen that way. We'd like it to be that way. It's like raising disciple kids. It just doesn't happen because you drop them off at the building two hours a week or an hour a week or whatever. You got to be engaged with them. You know, train them up in the teaching and the admonition of the Lord. And our last verse tonight probably feels like you tonight, but it's from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 19. Again, another passage we're very familiar with. It's actually one of three prayers that Paul specifically utters in his letters. But in Galatians or Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, listen to the, listen to the powerful words here that are used in this text. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that you, that in Christ may dwell in your heart faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure, may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So one last question for each. You don't have to respond to each of these, but I have one question for each of you. Respond to it. Understanding this text, what does it mean to be rooted and established in love? Link. Well, as you were reading that, um, it struck me, and this is something that I hadn't really ever thought about before, but not once in any of Paul's prayers um, that I've read, did he ever pray for himself? He was always praying for other people, for the people in the churches, for, you know, their faith. And so, to me, that, when you talk about being rooted and established in love, that's what it is. It's, it's about what can I do for someone else other than me. Amen. Thank you. Sharissa, whose love is our love to be parallel to, according to this text? Whose love is our love to be parallel to? Jesus. Amen. Just, we need to be like Jesus. That's right. And then Bryce, how would you describe the love of Christ? We'll give you the easy one. I was kidding. That's a hard one. The love of Christ is the very thing that brings us all together and saves us. Awesome. Great job. 
Thanks guys for participating. Let's hear it for our panel. In a moment, yeah, you guys can, I don't know what you're gonna, you can't take him with you because it's on a cord, so I don't know what you're gonna do. Just leave him there. Somebody will take care of him. We're gonna close out with a song here that I don't, if you, if you know it, sing it. But let's listen to the first line and then as the song winds down, I want you to go find somebody in the fellowship. Somebody you don't know that well. And share with them your name, how long you've been a disciple, and one quick thing that they may not know about you. But do it quickly, because you each got to share that. And this song isn't that long, especially if we listen to the first line together. What's the name of this song, Sharissa? Love God, Love People. Love God, Love People. You can't go anywhere. You have to love God, love people. So we're going to listen to the first line of the song, but then go find somebody. And don't, don't, don't fear out. I know for some of you this is like, oh, so stressful. You know, just try your best to relax. Those of us who are extroverts, go get them. Rescue those who are like, I can't do this, you know. If it's three of you, that's fine. There's no specific rules, but be very brief because we want each of us to share. But I want us to get a deeper There is so much that we don't know about each other that we need to know that will enrich our, our lives equally, that will make us closer, that will make us more powerful, that will make us actually participate more and more in the love of Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are given to us because they are relational. Being a disciple of Jesus is a relational endeavor. We do not live on an island. We do not survive on an island. We are a body. We are a body of believers. And as you continue to build and to grow and to learn how to love, this is something we have to be really intentional about with our lives because it doesn't just happen, okay? So thank you for listening. Thank you again for our panelists. Who, uh, let's hear it again for our panel people. <laughs> they had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea what was going to happen, but amen. Let's play a line of the song, and then when I raise my hand, go. And then when the song is over, you got to go back to your seat. Song time. I've been running in circles, jumping the hurdles. Getting caught in that rush of doing so much I'm feeling kind of worn out All this checking the boxes Trying to be flawless Has me spinning my head, catching my breath Too afraid to slow it down I tell myself to keep this up That God wants more than just my love But I've been complicating things It's just like me to overthink My name is Tim. Uh, my name is Tim. Oh, I've been a disciple for four.
Okay, let's be wrapping it up. Okay, if you can find your seats. Okay. I think we're, uh, that's it, right? We're done oh, now? we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that. Okay. Okay. We're gonna go ahead and uh, do our uh, closing out here, contribution and announcements. Was great we love fellowship don't we man two minutes is not enough <laughs> okay at this time uh, we're going to pass the baskets please and that will be 